0: Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath, for this memorial of creation and redemption. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to remember our Creator, our Redeemer, and our friend. And we pray that as we pause for a few moments here this morning in the quietness of this sanctuary, as we open your word, we pray that we would get a glimpse of Jesus Christ that our hearts would be warmed and touched and drawn closer and closer to you. We pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that Christ would be uplifted and seen. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing in our series of messages entitled The Miracle Worker. There are 37 miracles recorded in the New Testament, and we only have time for five of them. And so this is part two in our series of five Messages on the miracles of Christ that we 've chosen from the New testament and i 'd like to invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles if you have not already to our scripture reading found in Mark chapter two verses one through twelve it 's page one one five two and one one five three in the pew that is in front of you or in the Bible that is in the pew that is in front of you, mark chapter two verses one through 12, and what I'm going to do here this morning is I'm going to read through this passage, make a few comments as we go through it, and then make some observations and go to the thesis of our presentation this morning. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. You can follow along in whatever version you have there. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Jesus had just crossed over the lake and gone into Capernaum, and the Bible says that it was heard, it was noised about that Jesus was in the house of this particular individual. Evidently, he had done many miracles prior to this point, and the people wanted to see Jesus, they wanted to hear him because of the things that he had done. Verse 2: immediately, many gathered together. So that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Incidentally, Jesus believed in the preaching of the word. Amen? He recognized that in order to transform mankind, it came from the preaching of the word of God. Jesus believed in preaching. Amen? The preaching of the word. Verse 3. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. This individual was physically incapacitated. He was a paraplegic or possibly even a quadriplegic. He was unable to come to Jesus of his own volition. He was physically limited. He was dependent upon four individuals to bring him to Jesus. He was not able to come to Jesus on his own. His connection to Jesus came from these four friends who had to literally carry him to Jesus. By the way, this makes us think, what are we willing to do to bring our friend to Jesus? You may be the only connection that someone has. They only access because they are not physically incapacitated. They may be morally incapacitated. Verse 4. But there was a problem. There was an obstacle. Verse 4. And when they could not come near to him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So they had broken through they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying jesus is preaching a sermon and this is the classic or the i should say the nightmare interruption to a sermon he's preaching and suddenly they look up there's perhaps dust falling from the roof and there's skylight a skylight that should not be there, and suddenly in the midst of the room comes down this stretcher, and there is this physically incapacitated paralytic that is looking into the eyes of Jesus. The crowd is wondering what is happening, and what follows is a fascinating exchange between the paralytic and Jesus. Now, in three of the Gospels in which this account is recorded, there is no dialogue between Jesus and the paralytic. It is a monologue meaning that Jesus is the only person speaking. Now, I don't know why, but I would guess that it's probable that this paralytic could not express himself possibly because of his palsy. Nothing is stated or nothing is recorded as being stated in this miracle. The stretcher comes down and something happens. Jesus looks into the eyes of the paralytic. In verse 5, Jesus The Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, by the way, you can have faith for somebody else, It did not say when Jesus saw his faith, when Jesus saw their faith, plural, when you intercede on behalf of someone else, you are having faith for someone else. And in this case, Jesus did not only see the individual faith of the paralytic, he saw the collective faith of the people that brought the person to Jesus. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, without a word being recorded as being uttered, Son, what beautiful words, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Powerful. Verse 6, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Meaning that this was not something that they had vocalized or verbalized. It was not something that was made audible to the people that were there. They were saying this in their hearts. This was the thoughts that were in the inner consciousness of the scribes and Pharisees that were in the room as this miracle of forgiveness was taking place. Verse 7, and this is what they were thinking according to the Bible. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who alone, or who can forgive sins but God alone? By the way, the claim to forgive sins is only an attribute that can be given by God. God is the only person that can forgive sins, and Jesus, of course, was not guilty of blasphemy because he was indeed God. But when a man claims to forgive sins, the Bible considers it as blasphemy. Verse 8, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, by the way, Jesus knows what we're thinking. He's omniscient. You can't hide your thoughts from God. This is a particular case because all along Jesus could read the thoughts of the individuals. But in this case, the thoughts that these individuals were thinking was so bothersome, if I could use that word in regards to Jesus Christ, it just did not sit well with him. So much so that he had to call them out. That's what's happening. They're thinking this in their hearts about this concept of blasphemy. Who does he think he is anyway? And Jesus decides, look, this is inappropriate, so inappropriate that I'm going to call these individuals out. And he he does this in verse 8. He said to them, why do you reason about these things where? In your heart. In other words, I know what you are thinking. I know what you're processing in your inner sanctum of your hearts and your mind. In verse 9, which is it easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? In verse 10, here comes the punchline. Here's the point. But that you may, what is the next word? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Jesus performed the second miracle so that they would know that he had the authority to forgive sins. Verse 12, immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out into the presence of them all so that they all were amazed and glorifying God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now that's the way to end a sermon. They never forgot that sermon. There are so many lessons that we can bring out of this story. We could probably do a series on it, just this account. But I want to make a few observations before we get to the thesis that we have chosen. In this story, there is a particular exchange that takes place between Jesus and the paralytic. When you observe this miracle, there are actually two miracles that take place in Mark chapter 2. Two many people may think it's just one miracle, the healing of the paralytic, but there are actually two miracles, the miracle of forgiveness and the miracle of the physical healing. Both of these miracles happened because of the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, Take up your bed and walk. These miracles are interrupted by an exchange that takes place. There's a pause between these two miracles. Jesus could have combined the two miracles. He could have said, look, your sins are forgiven, and by the way, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He could have combined them, but in this particular miracle, the first miracle has a pause. There's an exchange in the In between the two miracles, between the miracle of forgiveness and the miracle of physical healing, there is an exchange that takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, when we look at the exchange, I want us to notice what Jesus does in the exchange. So you have miracle number one, the miracle of forgiveness, the miracle of physical restoration. In between the two miracles, Jesus does something that connects the two miracles. And I want you to notice the way that Jesus connects it. Look in verse nine very carefully here, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk here. Jesus links the two miracles by comparison. Do you see that? Yes or no? He compares the two miracles. Look, which is it easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Both of them are similar in the sense that both required the utterance of Jesus for the miracle to take place. In verse 10, not only does he connect the two miracles by comparison, but in verse 10, he says, but that you may know. Jesus wants them to know something. That the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and walk. In other words, what Jesus is doing in this miracle is he's pointing out that the second miracle, the physical, visible miracle, validates the first miracle, which is not visible. We call this authentication In the mind of Jesus, he's pointing out to the Pharisees that the second miracle which you can see validates, substantiates, or corroborates the first miracle which you cannot see. Are you following me, yes or no? The second miracle is the authentication of the first miracle. This is important in the mind of Jesus. He wants them to know that when I perform the second miracle, it validates what I have performed in the first miracle. They are connected by comparison and authentication. We say that they are parallel miracles or they are linked together. Jesus links the miracle of forgiveness and the miracle of physical healing by authentication, substantiation, cooperation. He also links them by comparison. So, when the Pharisees see the man rising, taking up his bed, and walk, they will know that that man is really forgiven. The issue is that the first miracle was not visible, it was invisible. But Jesus points out that the visible reality that you have just witnessed, this man rising, quadriplegic, taking up his bed and walking, gives validation to the first miracle of forgiveness. Now keep that in your minds as we observe the second miracle. Because they are linked. The characteristics of the second miracle can be found in the first miracle. They are parallel in nature. Let's look at the second miracle, the visible one, the physical one. Mark chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, here are those words, those powerful words that come from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. What's the next word? Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, there's a myriad of things that we can look at in this verse, but I want to hone in on this word immediately. It's intentionally placed there. When you study the book of Mark, scholars have noted that if there's one word that pops up 39 times in the Greek language in the book of Mark, it is the word immediately. It is intentionally placed there by Mark. It's only 16 chapters, but the word immediately is a constant theme that moves through the narrative of the gospel of Mark. Matter of fact, just in the previous chapter, the Bible says that Jesus said the words, I will be thou clean. And the Bible says immediately his leprosy was cleansed. They say that the gospel of Mark is the gospel of immediacy because this word comes up so many times, 39 times in the gospel of Mark. Mark intentionally uses the Greek word for immediately in reference to this miracle. As those words were rolling off the tongue of the Son of God, Son, he said, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and walk. That the man... stood up. The quadriplegic stood up. I want to make note that the miracle of forgiveness and the miracle of physical healing are linked together. And the Bible says that immediately he rose, took up his bed and walked and Look at the first miracle here that we are looking at. They are linked together. Jesus said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" In the first miracle, he says these words, son, your sins are forgiven. In the second miracle, he says, arise, take up your bed and walk. And because these are parallel miracles, they are related, they're analogous miracles. We can know that just as surely as the words that were uttered from Jesus, the response, the miracle happened, how fast? Immediately, we can know the parallel in verse 5 is that Jesus said to the paralytic, when he said those words, son, your sins are forgiven. And as those words were rolling off the tongue of Jesus, we can know that the invisible reality was not delayed, was not postponed, but it happened what? Immediately. Immediately. Jesus is pointing out that the reality of the physical miracle happens in the analogous spiritual miracle. It is an immediate response. And this is what I would call the doctrine of instantaneous forgiveness. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, I always believe this instantaneous forgiveness. But here Jesus... Proves it that when Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven, it is instantaneous, it is immediate, there is no delay. I know that we believe this in our heart of hearts, but I want to tell you that in our human relationships, many times we project our human realities to the God reality. And when someone has wronged us, they've hurt us, and they want to come and make restitution, we use this metaphor of what? They're in the doghouse. Isn't that right? They're in the doghouse. Now, the implications of the doghouse are this, is that you were once in a relationship, but there was a falling out. Perhaps the person has done something to you. He's made a mistake, and he's uh, wanting to make amends. But before the person can be reinstated into a regular relationship with you, they have to be in the doghouse. They have to be on a provisional probationary status in which they are in a testing time to see if they are really sorry. Or to make them suffer a little bit more, or perhaps to, to show your contempt for the action that they have done. And we do this to ourselves. We not only do it to the people that have hurt us, but when many times when we've done something wrong, we actually feel good or we want to place ourselves in a position to show that we're really sorry. I'm willing to grovel and to beg and to prove my forgiveness. How many of you have been in a situation like that before? You've done something wrong to someone, and they are not giving you instantaneous forgiveness. It is provisional forgiveness. You know what I'm talking about. You hurt me so bad. Oh, please forgive me. Oh, I don't know. Please forgive me. Oh, do you really mean that? Oh, I'll think about it. And then they grovel. They're going around. They're trying to earn their forgiveness. They're trying to show you that they are really, really sorry. And we do this all the time in our earthly relationships. We have a probationary type of forgiveness, it is a delayed forgiveness. It is not instantaneous. It's a forgiveness where the person has to stay in this state until they are really sorry or have suffered enough. And then they will be reinstated and not until then. A delayed forgiveness, probationary forgiveness, provisional forgiveness. We do this all the time. I think of the man, Henry IV. You heard this story before. 1077. He travels in the dead of winter. Because his area has been placed under interdict, excommunicated by the Pope. And he wants to get that excommunication relieved because... They believe that the Pope held the keys to heaven and hell. He travels in the dead of winter to see the Pope, to ask for the lifting of the ban of excommunication, and the Pope refuses to see him. He makes this king, Henry IV, stand outside in the cold of January, in the dead of winter, barefoot for three days. Provisionary status. And then after the man has suffered enough, he said, all right, now you can come in and see me. Sometimes we project this delayed forgiveness unto God. Don't we? You ever done something before and it's really bad? It's a sin. There's no excuse. You feel guilty. You feel ashamed. And you go to God and you say, Lord, please give me forgiveness. And you think... Because the act that you've done it was so heinous, was so bad, was so terrible that you can't even mention it to anyone, you go to God and you say, Lord, I'm really, really sorry. Please forgive me. And rather than believing in instantaneous forgiveness, we believe in provisional forgiveness. We believe that God keeps us outside in the cold to see if we're sorry enough or if we've suffered enough, whether we've really committed ourselves back to him enough. He kicks us out there and we have to grovel around to prove our merit before God. This is the way we think, even though we believe in instantaneous forgiveness emotionally. The reality is that we project this provisional forgiveness onto God himself. And if there's anything that tears at the heart of God, it is this belief in provisionary, probationary forgiveness, because it tells us something about the way that we view God. It breaks his heart. We project and we say, Father, I'm going to be out here in the cold. I'm going to experience this. And then maybe if I just show myself, sorry enough, you will let me back in. And once we have done that, we feel like we are worthy of his forgiveness. Friends, that's a lie. That is not in the Bible. The Bible teaches instantaneous forgiveness. Instantaneous. Not provisional. Not probationary. You're forgiven. Done. Right? Love this statement from Our High Calling. Through the righteousness of Christ... We shall stand before God, pardoned, and as though we have never sinned. Meaning that when God gives us instantaneous forgiveness, we are instantaneously reinstated. So that when he views us, he doesn't see our history. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You stand before God as if you had never sinned, and that is instantaneous justification. Right there, unmerited, undeserved, unearned. It's so beautiful and profound. First John one nine. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. He is just. I can't tell you how many times in my Christian experience I've messed up, no excuses. I've fallen, I've made a mistake, and I get on my knees, I turn in my Bible, 1 John 1, 9, I look at that verse and I say, praise the Lord, it's still there. It is still there. And I said, Lord, please forgive me. And by faith, not the way I feel, I believe in instantaneous, not provisional forgiveness, not because of what I feel, but because of the reality of what the Word of God says. I believe, and I walk out of that believing by faith, regardless of the way that I feel, that I stand before God reinstated as though I have never sinned instantaneously. That is the reality of the gospel. That is the reality of instantaneous justification. Unmerited, undeserved. For pardon of sin, for the Holy Spirit, for a Christ-like temper, for wisdom and strength to do his work, for any gift he has promised, we may ask. And the promise is, you shall receive. When you pray for the pardon of sin, God doesn't say, I'll think about it. Let me ponder that for a moment. It's one prayer that you can pray and you'll know without the shadow of doubt that the answer will always be yes. Yes. That's a yes prayer. That's a prayer that you can take to the bank and know that it will be cashed every single time. Forgiveness of sin is one that you can never doubt and you know that every time you pray it and you confess your sins, you can know that you are instantaneously forgiven. Yes. I love this statement. Ellen White, Review and Herald, 1896. Just believe. Just believe that Jesus will hear your confession, receive your penitence, and forgive how many? Every Every sin. The hand that was nailed to the cross for you is stretched out to save you. What a beautiful promise. Just believe that Jesus will hear your confession, receive your penitence, and forgive every sin. Just believe. Based on who God is, not who you are. Based on what he has done and what he is doing and will do. Just believe that when you ask for forgiveness, it is instantaneously given. I wish that I had the language of an angel to be able to convey this concept from heaven to you. God wants you to know that his forgiveness is freely given and instantaneously given once you accept by faith the words found in Scripture that if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive. Oh, what a wonderful God we serve. That the penitent sinner can come to the Savior and walk away justified. I want to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to close here this morning. With every head bowed, And eyes closed. There's someone here this morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your hearts. There's someone here today that needs to experience God's forgiveness and to believe that He grants you instantaneous forgiveness. There's someone in here today that needs to bring to the foot of the cross their burden and leave it there. And if there's someone here today, you've got something in your life that you want to ask Jesus for forgiveness, you can experience it today. You can walk out of this sanctuary justified before God. And I want to invite you, if you want to claim by faith this justification, this forgiveness that is freely offered, freely given, and you have something in your life that you want to bring to the altar and leave it there and walk away knowing that you've claimed the promise that if we confess, he will forgive, I want to invite you to come forward here this morning. I'm coming forward. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior just like you, and someone here today wants to come forward and lay their sins before the altar and walk away with the belief that they are justified instantaneously, I want to invite you to come forward. Come forward here today to the foot of the cross, believing that Jesus longs to forgive. He has the character and the capability to forgive, and you want to have the assurance that the God Of 2,000 years ago is the same God of today. The God that uttered to that man, Son, your sins are forgiven, is the same individual that utters to us, My son, my daughter, you are forgiven. And you want to say to the Lord Jesus here today, Father, I accept and I believe in your instantaneous forgiveness here today. And you want to come forward claiming by faith this promise and walking away justified. God bless you. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Our Father in heaven, nothing in our hands we bring simply to your cross we cling. Father, forgive us for believing in a provisional forgiveness. Forgiving, forgive us for believing in a probationary forgiveness. Forgive us for not believing that when you forgive, you really do. Do it instantly. And I pray for every person here that's come forward here today. Lord, we claim, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess, you will forgive. And that we can stand before God. We can walk out of the sanctuary here today knowing that we stand before you justified as if we have never sinned give us the grace give us the peace that passes all understanding that results from justification and claiming the righteousness of jesus christ seal us with your spirit work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure bless us as we depart from this place may we not depart from your presence